morning. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be back here. It's been a couple years. You guys have expanded, and uh, church is looking great. And uh, it smells good. You know, I smell the food as you guys are talking about how you guys are eating food all the time. And uh, so I'm going to try to get through this message without uh, just thinking about that. <laughs> but um, it is a pleasure to be with you. My name is Andrew Earnshaw. I'm the director of U.S. Ministry at Bible League International. And uh, how many of you guys know Bible League? Yeah, that's a good thing. Good. Yeah, so we work in 70 different countries, and we reach about 2 million people a year with the gospel through churches just like this. And we do church planner training, we do evangelism work, we do uh, literacy training. But uh, my job is to bring ministry back to the United States, because 80, 83, 84 years ago, Bible League started with a guy that just went door to door and asked people, if, will, will you read this if I give it to you with the Bible? And so um, even last night, I had the pleasure of going down to Gankakee and seeing multiple baptisms from, from a scenario just like that. And so people, people think sometimes that doesn't work, but we saw about five or six baptisms after canvassing uh, Kankakee last night. And so if your church is interested in doing that kind of stuff, let me know. Um, but we appreciate your financial support as well. And uh, a church is planted every three and a half hours through Bible League. And so that's an amazing thing, and um, we appreciate your support and, and uh, how you've supported us over the years as well. So, um, boy, you know, I was reading this text as we were reading through it together, and I was like, wow, this is some strong language, isn't it? This is, what am I thinking coming in as a guest pastor and laying down a text like this? Shouldn't I be focusing on the mercy of God and the grace of God? And I, and I am, and I want to show uh, you this morning about how even in this hard language, and even in this heavy passage, God's grace and mercy is there. And so before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and everything we just sang about, how you break chains, about how you are the way maker, that you are the miracle worker, Father, that we have nothing without you. And so God, as we come to your word this morning, God, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would show us um, your ways and show us to trust in you more and more. And we know, God, we know that it's by grace that we receive these things. We know that it's grace that, that you save us. And so, God, as we, as we work through this passage, Lord, we just ask that you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to have the, the text up on the screen as, as we work through this. Um, but just kind of a mental framework for you of how we're going to look at this passage today. We're going to look at what causes sin. Is this normal? The light's off? Okay, there. Good? <laughs> All right, I'd like to see it. It's good. Um, we're going to look at what causes sin. We're going to look at what solves the problem of sin, and then we're going to look at what is our response. And so I mentioned a couple years ago that I had been in uh, recovery for a while from, from alcohol and drugs. And there is a passage in some recovery literature about this guy, this actor, that uh, he gets hired as an actor in a play, and he's really happy about that. And he's working through this, this play, and he starts to see the lights, and he goes, man, you know what? I don't really like how those lights are, and he starts messing with the lights. And the crew goes, hey, what are you doing? That's our job. Stay away from that. And the actor thinks to himself, boy, you know, I'm just trying to make things better. 
and he sees some, some tape over here, and he starts pulling it up because he thinks it would look better. And the, the stage crew again, he go, hey, can you not mess with our sets? Those are there for a reason. And he's thinking to himself, man, if people would just listen to me, I, I know what this thing should look like. I, I have an idea for what it should look like, and people should listen to me. And so he starts working through the lines with another actor. And as his co-worker actor is saying the lines, he's, he's kind of going, why don't you say it this way? Why don't, you, why don't you do things this way? And the actor goes, you know, I was hired for this, for this job. You know, why don't you just worry about your lines and I'll worry about my lines? And our actor continues to get more and more fr frustrated. He continues to wonder why, even though he's got good reasons for doing what he's doing, that people are getting upset with him. Right? And even the director... He goes up to the director as the guy's, the director's giving some, some instruction. And he says, you know, I've seen this play on Broadway. Why don't we do it this way? And the director goes, go and sit down. And the actor just gets more and more frustrated. Why is this in recovery literature? It's because the actor is like the alcoholic, right? And we all do this. It's not just alcoholics. When things don't go our way, when we don't get what we want, we struggle. We, we do things that, that are not the right way of doing things. We, we handle situations poorly. And for the alcoholic, that means going out and drinking and self-destructing. But boy, you know, I've been, I've been sober for a while. But, you know, I, was, I came back from Iowa this week, and I was driving from O'Hare. And man, people tailing me, people cutting me off in front. There's a guy in a Lamborghini. I'm jealous of him. And there's a guy in an Oldsmobile with a, with a light falling off, and I'm judging him. And by the time I get home, I'm just angry, and I'm, you know, and I'm ready to explode because of all this stuff going on, because I don't like to not be in control of things, right? And our coworkers, if they would just listen to us, work would go better, right? Our friend, our friend that has the same relationship problems over and over and over, keeps coming to us, and we keep on giving the same relationship advice, and they just don't listen. They got relationship problems, and our kids, man... Our kids, if they would just listen to us the first time, boy, wouldn't that be nice? Moms, right? And so we deal with this issue. And, you know, like I said, we may have virtuous reasons for why we do the things we do, but what's, what's underlying? What's, what's the underlying thing there? People are messing with our plans. People are messing with our agendas, we have to get somewhere at a certain time. People get in the way of that, right? We want to do a good job at work, and people just seem to get in the way of that, right? And we have this frustration, these things that war within us. And I'm assuming a lot of us here are Christians that we follow Jesus, and, and it can be a war within us. And that's what James is talking about here. And so we're going to look at uh, the first verse, the first two verses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And so, you know, if my wife and I are in the car, she loves driving with me. I just like to debate. I just, that's the kind of person I am. You know, I just like to argue, you know. And so when my wife and I are driving in the car, um, I think she's wrong, right, if we get into an argument. Right? And I'm saying this because she knows me so well. She's always right. But in the moment, I think that she's wrong. And so don't the arguments come from the fact that I have the facts and she doesn't? That I'm correct and she, she's not correct? She needs to be enlightened? And I'm not saying that there's not truth here, 
But what James is getting at is usually our arguments come from, from wanting to be right rather than actually being right. Our arguments come from a place of entitlement and of pride and of, of our own selfish desires, of just wanting to prove a point and feel superior to other people. That's what causes wars. That's what causes battles within us. We're selfish. We feel entitled. We feel like the world owes us. And these might not be conscious thoughts that are right in the front of our brains, but they're underlying. They're, they're somewhere deep down inside of us. right? It feels like when somebody's wronged me, I must show them that I have the power to get them back. I must take control. I must fix. I, I, I. Right? We rely on ourselves to fix the problem. And we stop. This is the problem. This is the problem with that. Is we stop looking at people as image bearers and we start looking at them as a means to an end. Right? We do that with people and we do that with God as well. And so this is, this is what it says in verse 2. You, you do not have because you do not ask God. And there's a free, few reasons uh, we don't ask God for, for things here. One is that we just don't think about it. One is that we're just, you know, Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Or, I, or Paul says it, but God is speaking through his word. We don't ask when we worry, when we struggle. We don't come to God. We just don't even think about it. And that could be the first reason we don't come to God. And the second reason is kind of, kind of similar. It's, it's we don't go to God because we don't want to be convicted. Right? We don't, we don't really want to hear. If I'm arguing with somebody, the last thing I want to do is hold out my hand and go, you know what, let's pray about this. Right? I just want to be right. So rather than going and getting quiet with God or, or even praying about it in that moment, I don't want to be convicted. And this, is, this was a life-changing thing for me because this is, this is why I picked this passage to, write, to, to talk about today is, is this place of submission of, you know, if we don't get quiet with God, we'll keep on going with our own agenda. We'll keep on going with the way that we want things to go, right? But when we get quiet with God, God has a way of, of showing us our own faults. If we say, if we, if we just stop talking to God and listen to God and go, God, what's my part in this? He has a way of showing us and, and bringing peace to that situation because he's a God of peace, right? And so those are two ways that, that keep us from going to God, but then we do go to God sometimes, right? Let's look at verse 3. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So sometimes we do to go to God, and it depends on, on how long you've been walking with God for, you know. I, I used to ask, you know, God, can you just get me this Jeep Wrangler? It's not a Lamborghini. It's a Jeep Wrangler. It's not, you know, can I just have that Jeep? Can I just have this house? You know, it's just a couple hundred thousand dollars. God, if I, if I, if I have this house, well... Not anymore, it's about a half million dollars probably, right? If I could just get this house, I'd be happy, I'd follow you. If this girl would just like me, then and, and we could just get married and I get my things settled and then I'll follow you, right? We go to God with this laundry list. God, I got it, I got it all figured out. You don't need to do anything. Just answer these things and we'll be set. And I, I thought of uh, Veruca Salt. Veruca salt is, is uh, from Willy Wonka, the bad egg, right? And 
if God were just to give us all that we want all the time, that's what we would turn into. <laughs> we would turn into spoiled kids like my kids, right? If I give them everything I want or everything they want, they become spoiled, they become bad eggs. And so it's not that God doesn't love us. He does. He loves us. He, he really does want the best for us. But he knows more than we know about ourselves. He knows what we need more than, than we need. We know. Um, and this isn't just for asking questions, you know, asking God for Lamborghinis and homes. It can be looking like asking God to solve issues that you think are his will and, and probably are his will, like your, your kids to be saved and, and illness to be taken away and issues that, that we have that, that just seem to hinder us and get in the way. But God has a plan, right? God has a purpose. I, I think about my wife and I, when we, when we first got married today, I did not plan on talking about my, my marriage as much this morning. She's sitting right here, and now I'm thinking about it. This is why I need to practice in front of you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when we first got married, we struggled. We had, some real, we had some real issues in our marriage. And I remember thinking, you know, I was seeking God at that time. I was going through the Bible in a year, and I, and I, was, I was looking for God, and, and these marriage problems happened. And I was like, wow, God, you either don't love me or you don't exist. And this, this be anger at God for, for not just solving my problems the way that I wanted him to led me on a, on a trajectory of going more and more away from God. I, I stopped believing. I started listening to, to Richard Dawkins and the reasons why God doesn't exist and all these things. And looking back on that, I'm glad God didn't answer my prayers the way that I thought they should have been solved. Even though I was going through the pain, even though I was going through the struggle, later on, addiction, alcohol, drugs, all that stuff, things that I still struggle with, sometimes it's hard to see where God is at in that. But the reason I'm in front of you today is because God had a different plan. I wouldn't be here. I'd be sitting on some island right now, drinking a martini or something like that and just, you know. But God had different plans, a better plan. And through that, instead of becoming like Veruca Salt, God gave me purpose. He gave me fulfillment. He gave me wisdom. He gave me strength. He gave me usefulness to people. And I have a life that's way better because God did it his way rather than my way. And so that's not to say we shouldn't pray. We should continue to pray for the things that we're praying for, especially if you're praying for somebody to be saved or you're praying for God's will to be done. But we have to trust. We have to wait. And we have to be careful to not say that God doesn't exist or he doesn't love us if he's not doing things the way that we think he should do them. And so, back to the text. You know, if we're just going to God with our laundry list of things, if we're just going, God, if I could just get this, 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 I'll be happy. James uses some harsh language here. He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Boy, adulterous. Adulterous. James Gold's Old Testament here with this language. We, we think, you know, hey, my, my own desires, my own agenda, my own wants, they're not that bad, you know. I got God over here. I see him on Sunday. I pray to him uh, right before I fall asleep about what I need for the next day. But James is saying, you adulterous people. Why does he use such strong language? 
He goes back to the Old Testament and the prophets that would go to the Israelites and go, you say you're worshiping God, but you have Baal over here. You're doing these sacrifices over here to another God. You have these high places. You adulterous people, turn back to God. Turn back to God. And James is comparing our idols and our lives, whether it's still gold or whether it's an idea or an object or uh, lust or whatever it may be. And he's saying, you adulterous people. And there's two reasons for this. You know, God is the creator of the universe. He breathed out the galaxies. You look at these James, the James Webb, the, the pictures of all these galaxies and, and the Hubble and all these things, and he just breathed those out with a few words. And we're going to take his creation and put, him bef- put that before him? It's an insult, right? But again, let's look at God's heart. Because he knows us. And when we place his creation above him or we place money before him, what happens? Our lives fall apart. <laughs> we become greedier and greedier. We, we become workaholics. We, become, uh, we just stop caring about our families. When we place sex, when we place pornography above God, we start to look at people like objects. Right? Again, they become a means to an end rather than something that brings us fulfillment and happiness, and brings God glory. I love John Piper. He talks about that all the time. I think for, for you know, Reformed, you've got to be very careful uh, with, with how you present the gospel sometimes. And sometimes we hear the gospel as Reformed people is like, oh, Jesus paid the penalty. I'm, I'm just free to do whatever I want now, and it's good. But John Piper talks about savoring Christ, about being a Christian hedonist, about taking our delight, and over and over again in Scripture it says, delight yourself in the Lord. And when we do that, we see God change our hearts. We see God move in our lives. And so I don't want this to be a legalistic sermon about how you got to do more, right? God calls us to delight in him, to, to, to put him first in our lives. And when we do that, it brings him glory and it satisfies us. Let's go on to verse 5 here. Do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? God jealously longs for your spirit. So is God like a jealous husband that, you know, asks his wife where she's going all the time? Or is he like a nagging wife that's always checking her husband's texts? No, he's not like that. He yearns for our heart. He yearns for our heart because he knows you, because he knows me, because he knows how we've been created. He knows that he needs to be our first desire. And so even when we're unfaithful, when we fail, when we struggle, when we're, when we're working through sin and we just feel shamed about it, God's going, come back to me. I, I long for you. I yearn for you. Right? He desires us. He wants to be with us. And again, he knows, he knows what's best for us. And when you sin, and when you feel that shame, some of you saints, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard because we, we sin, we mess up, and we feel that shame. But what is that a sign of when we feel that? It's a sign of relationship, that you have a relationship with God, that, that you do love God. Because if I were just to cheat on my wife and didn't care about it, that wouldn't be much of a relationship, would it be? But because we feel that guilt, because we feel that shame, 
and we go back to God, that means that we have relationship. And that is a place of humility. That's really what humility is about, is realizing that God's the director and that we're the actor, right? And that we're not, it's not the other way around. So God favors the humble. This is a good sign, right? Now, it's a bad sign if you sin and stay away from God and going, God, no, I can't, I can't come back to you. And we've got to be careful of that, too. God calls us back. He wants us to come back to him. And that's a sign of humility. But look at the alternative. He says, God favors the humble, but he opposes the proud. Right? So the other position in verse 6, the other position is pride. And now this can look like arrogance. It can look like, um, you know, just thinking I'm right all the time. But, but pride can be a place of just disbelief. And not just disbelief in, in God, just disbelief in believing that God's word is true for my life. Disbelief that, that uh, he's got a plan, that he's got a way, that he's got an agenda for us, right? And you see people that are trapped in sin, and, and sometimes it's really, really hard to get out of it, and they just go, enough, I don't believe in God anymore. And they build up all this logical arguments for why God doesn't exist, right? But God is calling us back to him because he jealously longs for us. He yearns for us. And it's a problem if we just run away from him. It's a problem if we don't submit to him. Isn't it strange that we can see everybody else's problems, but we can't see our, our own a lot of the time? You know, we can, I could probably spend 20 minutes with you and, and go, well, I can see this, this, and this. And you could see the same thing about me, like, What's the deal? Why does he keep talking about being so, such a horrible husband all the time? You know, maybe he actually is one. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's, it's, it's in that place of, of realizing who we are and in a place of realizing that we have our own problems, that, that our sin isn't just something to shrug off, but it's what causes broken homes. It will, it's what causes addiction to be passed on for, from generation to generation. It's what ultimately leads to war. I mean, that's what is being said here. Why do we war? Why do we get into the, the things that we get into? That's sin full grown. And so we have a problem here, but there's a solution. There's a solution, and it's really easy to miss here. Let's look at verse 6. He gives us more grace. The start of verse 6, he gives us more grace. So what's this grace? Who is this grace? Jesus. Jesus is this grace. And without him, we face an eternity in hell. We don't want to skirt around the issue. And that starts here and now. I mean, Jesus says those that are close to him, you know, they can enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we can start either bringing heaven to earth or we can continue to bring hell to earth depending on how we live. But Jesus, Jesus gives us grace. He pays the penalty for our sin. And not only that, he gives us his Holy Spirit to enable us to whatever he's calling us into. And so you may not live a perfect life, but God has, Jesus has, and he transfers that righteousness to you. And not only that, he gives you his Holy Spirit to walk alongside of him, to move, to step into what he's calling you into, to be convicted when you feel like you've done something wrong, and to change your heart, not to leave you in that place. Sometimes it may feel like you've been in that place for a long time of, of just struggling, struggling against sin. 
But God has given you his spirit, and he's calling out to you. He's yearning for you, right? And that's this grace among a million other things, amongst a million other, other graces that he gives us every day. So we see that, that Jesus has paid the price, that he enables us, that he gives us the power to walk with him. So what do we do? Verse 7. Verse 7 to the end. Okay. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. So what do we do? We don't fix ourselves. We submit ourselves. We don't fix the issue. We submit it to God. And all these things after submit to the Lord come from the submission. Does that make sense? So, so we can't resist the devil unless we're submitted to God. right? We, we can't come near to God unless we submit to God in prayer. What are we going to wash our hands in? What are we going to purify our hearts with? Our own filthy rags? It comes from a place of submission to his word, to, to who he is, to Christ himself in prayer and loving him. So we get such strong language. Grieve, mourn, and wail. You know? Instead of turn your frown upside down, turn that <laughs> happiness upside down. I don't know what you say there. God's calling us to come back to him. And we look at God, and we, we know he's a God of love and of joy and of peace, right? So why does, he use, why does he use this language? It's because he's asking us to come under his authority in every way possible. We give up our agenda for his word. We give up our distracted busyness of just sitting on our phone all the time for the quiet place. We give up our own music for his worship, right? He's calling us, and, and that's not easy. And if you're just going through life and you're just laughing about everything and uh, shrugging it off, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I do this. Who else doesn't? You know, everybody, everybody does this. Everybody, everybody looks at porn. Everybody drinks. Everybody does this. Everybody does that. Everybody swears. Everybody whatever. Everybody goes for power. Everybody goes for money. And if we shrug that off, that's a bad thing. Again, that's what leads to all the problems in our world. People wonder why God would do such things. Why, why does God allow all these things? He's allowing us to be ourselves. He's allowing us to function the way we would just normally function. But when we submit to God, God starts to show us. God starts to show us. This is, this is the verse that, the second verse I take great comfort in. It's come near to God and he will come near to you. Isn't it a comfort? That if we come near to God, he will come near to us. Multiple times in scripture, Jeremiah says, draw close to God, he'll come close to you. Jesus himself, knock, I'll open the door. Seek, you'll find. Ask, it'll be given to you. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is repeating the words of his, of his brother. Come near to God, and I will come near to you. And what happens when we come near to God? What happens when we feel God's presence when we experience his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. Chains get broken, right? We start to look at God and, and we want to submit to him. We want to love him with our whole heart. 
we see his grace in our lives and we desire to follow after him. This is the game changer here. Because when we see God, when he draws close to us, our heart just melts. We're on autopilot all the time. It's going from thing to thing. But when God's presence comes, our eyes are opened up. And this is what he's calling us into. He's saying, draw near to me. Come close. And so I believe in practical application. So I want to give you something that you can hold on, hopefully for the rest of your life, but just practice it this week. Okay? Anybody ever hear of the prayer of examine? Anybody hear that? We'll practice it real quick. Okay? There's just two questions. And so if you don't have a, a super strong prayer life, this is a great place to start or in addition to your already existing prayer life. Let's close our eyes real quick and just ask this question. God, in the last 24 hours, where was I distant from you? Was it yelling at the kids? Was it sitting on the couch for three hours looking at my phone? Was it not doing something that you called me to do and I knew you were calling me to do it? Was it talking poorly about somebody else? Where was I distant from you? And then the follow-up question is, God, where was I closest to you? Was I closest to you when I was doing the dishes even though I didn't feel like it last night? When I loved my wife the way she, she wanted to be loved and, and cared for her? When I took my kids out and just were, was with them for a while? And everybody's going to have different answers. Maybe it's worship in the car. Maybe it's reading scripture. But those two things, those two questions will show you, you can open your eyes, those two things will show you what God wants to take away and what God wants to grow. There's a great song out by Bethel, it's called Tend. I recommend it highly because it's talking about how God is pruning our hearts and working in us and, and carving away the things that need to be gone and growing the things that he loves. And so... I want to finish. I started with a story. I want to finish with a story. There is uh, anybody ever hear The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? Great book. Um, it's not like the great marriage separation. It's the great like separation, the great divorce. Okay. And so there's a bus full of tourists that will go up to heaven, and they're standing right on the edge. But the condition is they have to drop what they're holding on to in order to get in. And so this can be seen as a as a future heaven, or even here heaven on earth, the the kingdom of heaven. And so one guy gets out, and he's a famous artist. And the angel's standing at the gate, and the angel says, you can come on in, but you got to drop your love of your fame. And the guy goes, ah. You know, I get invited to a lot of people's houses. People love me because of my art and all these things. I, I don't think I can do that. And so he gets back on the bus, and there's another woman. And the angel's standing there at the gate, and the woman approaches the, thro approaches the angel, and the angel says, you can come in, but you got to drop your unforgiveness. you got to drop that bitterness that you're holding on to. And she goes, ah, you know, my sister just messed my life up so bad, I just can't, I can't drop that. I can't get rid of that. And so she gets back on the bus. And then there's this other guy, this last guy. And he comes up to the angel, and he's got this little lizard on his shoulder, and it's like this little nasty-looking lizard, and it's whispering into his ear. And the guy's kind of slumped over, and he's walking like this. And the angel says, can I kill it? And this little lizard is lust, just speaking into his, 
into his ear. And the guy loves it because it brings him comfort, but he also hates it. And the angel says, can I kill it? And the man goes, uh, you know what? Uh, not right now. You know, I'll come back another time. And the angel says again, can I kill it? And the man goes, all right, all right, all right. And he slumps towards the angel, and the angel reaches out. And the man goes, ah, it's hot. I don't know. I'll do it tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. And the angel says one more time, can I kill it? The man reluctantly goes forward. The angel grabs it off of his shoulder, kills it, throws it on the ground. And the man, the man that's been living all his life like this, all of a sudden regains his strength and regains his posture. And the lizard goes from this disgusting little creature and grows into a stallion because it's become the man's wisdom. It's become the man's strength, his, his situation God used to bring into being a stallion. And he gets on the horse and he rides off to glory. God wants to kill your lizard. Will you let him? God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. He really does. We don't, we're not just saying that. That's not just something to put on a wall that God's got a purpose for you. It's true. And so don't fix it. It's a minute. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. God, these things are hard. You know what we struggle with. You know what we're going through. But God, you've not called us to do these things on our own. You've not called us to earn our own righteousness. You've not called us to work our way up to heaven. God, but you want to work alongside of us. You want to work in us. Give us the power to do that, Father. We thank you for your word. God, we just ask that we would walk with you this week, that we would love you and love the, love the people around us, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.